Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited. We got Marsha rejoining us and we got Matt for the first time. I am stoked. Now, well, I am stoked. Y'all should be too. Like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff to get your emails whenever we go live, which is of course every day. Now, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section and we can engage them directly throughout the show. Kind of like this one, Salty. Evening, everyone. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, oh, we got Daniel on here as well. Good to see you, Daniel. <clears throat> um, today's topic, we're going to be talking about walking alone together. But before we do that, let's get some intros out of the way. Uh, let's start with Marsha. Give us 10, 15 seconds. Who are you? Where you come from? All that good stuff. My name is Marsha Van Weisberg, and I come from Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And I love all things stories, sharing our stories, being authentic, and putting a lot of good energy out there to help others. Outstanding. Matt, how about yourself? I come from San Diego or Los Angeles. I'm back and forth right now, so Southern California. I'm a medically retired cop that worked patrol, peer support, SWAT, full-time police academy instructor. Mm -hmm. And I was a college strength coach the whole time I was a cop. Now I do police chaplaincy, peer support, and wellness for first responders and veterans. Beautiful. Outstanding. Looking forward to this combo. Now, what are we talking about again today? We're talking about walking alone together. So what does it mean? Well, walking alone together conveys the idea of individuals sharing a journey or experience while maintaining a sense of independence and self-discovery. It suggests companionship without relying on others for personal fulfillment. I really like this uh, discussion. We kind of touched on it yesterday through yesterday's conversation, but uh, I want to get some depth of understanding on this. So let's start with Matt. What are your first thoughts when I say walk alone together? Well, the first thing that jumped in my mind was this, a Zen cone. You're familiar with a Zen cone? I am not. So it's like a paradoxical riddle that the logic and reason can't resolve. So you're supposed to meditate on it until you overcome the ego and then your intuition answers it. So when you sent that an email, I was like, wow, walk alone together. And then I shifted to, uh, you know, every relationship like with our family of origin, with our romantic partners, friendships, teamwork, and sports, military as a first responder, we all have an individual and a collective responsibility mm -hmm. to grow and be accountable to each other. And if you're not doing that, then you're in a codependent relationship. Um, and it's like you said, you're not fulfilling your needs with others. So, um, and the last thing that kind of jumped in my mind, are you familiar with the term individuation? It's from Depth Psychology and Carl no. Jung. That's kind of like the psychological, emotional, spiritual maturation journey where you reflect on your, your life, your family of origin, the good, the bad, and the different experiences you've had. And you pick out what's good and serves you well. And you realize some things are not serving you well. And the further you do the journey of individuation, it does tie into spirituality a little bit. So the closer you get to your true self, your true self and God are two sides of the same coin, but you also start seeing in a non-dualistic manner. Have you heard that term? It rings a bell. No? By all means, bring so it. Bring it. <laughs> dual, dualism is black or white. It's the way this whole world is right now. Like, you're a cop. I hate you. You're a different political party. I don't like you. Right. When like the healthy journey emotionally and psychologically is the more you experience things as a human, you should see what you have in common with other human beings, mm -hmm. all other human beings. And that's non-dualistic thinking or living. So I thought about that as well. That's a great start. Marcia, what were your first thoughts? <laughs> that's a lot to follow. That, that was incredible. Um, my very, <laughs> it really was. My very first thoughts are that um, walk alone together is that we're all walking different journeys, different times, different experiences. And it is our own individual responsibility to take care of ourselves as, as best as we can, ask for help, give help when, when we can, and know that how we lead ourselves will impact others. And if we can lead ourselves in the best way possible, then we can make a difference in like the person beside us and the person beside us. So I believe that 
in a lot of ways, we are responsible for ourselves, but we do walk together. Absolutely. Sean, what are your first thoughts on this? Well, as always, I try to show up with no thoughts. And then I try to uh, show my thoughts through the guests' comments. So they've set the stage for me. And uh, I think that um, pretty much the first thing that came to mind, even before the guests started talking, it was what you had said, Chance. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into this deeper. So that's how I'm going to play this uh, one right now. Um, I, I I was at uh, Miyamoto <laughs> Miyamoto Masashi's waterfall yesterday. Uh, it's it's not a really famous spot, but it's it's famous to people who follow Miyamoto Masashi's life or know more about him historically. It's quite a journey to get there. And uh, when I got there, I spent several hours at the waterfall, walking around, thinking about things, diving deeper into my thoughts and feelings on how he led his life. In regard to walk alone together, uh, Masashi was a ronin, and that means he uh, had no master. He was masterless, and through his individual journey, he created a collective wisdom or a philosophy or a martial art or a many things that he was not responsible for, but responsibly created for our modern world today and the future. Now, whether you ascribe to him or not uh, is immaterial. What it should illustrate is that a Ronin or a, a masterless man can walk through the world and have a ripple on effect out into the world. Now, how am I going to tie that into my life? Well, I put up a little video on my Instagram um, site this uh, last night, and um, it was only a short clip, and it was just me hanging out at the waterfall. I I'm not very good at social media, so I just put my my phone on on a little, you know, a little iron uh, urn. And then just kind of hung out at the waterfall. And I just clipped out a little piece uh, of the uh, long period of time that I spent there thinking about the world around me. And one of my old-timey friends, uh, Tim Turner, had put up a comment into that video that said, you know, I remember reading uh, Miyamoto Masashi's book back in the commando, back in Two Commando. Tim and I served together in Two Commando. And that book that he probably read was the book that I owned and passed around the commando at that time. So that's over 30 years ago. And um, what is interesting is Tim saw that video, made reference to him remembering reading the book, probably my book, that has led me to 30 plus years later, standing at uh, Masashi's uh, waterfall and thinking about how the threads of time uh, connect us all in our own collective journeys, though we all walk to some degree a Ronin lifestyle, or at least we did back then. So those are my first thoughts. Man, this is going to be a good conversation. I'm liking this already. <laughs> I love where this is going. Uh, Matt, you got any thoughts on, on anything that's been said so far? Well, something jumped out too that I think might relate. Have any of you heard of the, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell? Yes, indeed. So, you know, we all have to leave our comfort zone and we end up journeying by ourselves. But along the way, as we face challenges, we're going to have mentors and peers and foes. But ultimately, it's the individual that has to do that journey to get the gift to bring back to their community. So that's one thing that jumped in my mind. I like that, Marsha. You got any thoughts on this? I was going to piggyback on that in the sense that like, how we lead ourselves and what we do and healing ourselves and doing that journey, it can ripple far, far further and longer and distance than we ever know. And all of a sudden you're hearing something that, you know, from 30 years ago is now you're seeing some dots connect. And I just think that's just beautiful. Like we don't realize the full impact of how far our actions can reach and our kindness, our gestures, whatever that is, can reach. And we might never know. And that's not why we do it. But when we when we can see afterwards that 
when we do that work on ourselves and we show up as our best self, we can make a difference that is going to reach much further past us than what we could ever imagine. So I just could see this visual of the threads and how incredible the threads are and that you don't even know who that is that you might be impacting. Absolutely. Sean, you got any uh, additional points to this? Yeah, as a follow-on to that, I have I threw up in my Instagram stories, um, which of course only exists for 24 hours, a photo of me standing next to, uh, there's a, there's several shrines. In fact, there's eight shrines around this waterfall uh, spread over the distance of about a kilometer. And um, uh, one of the shrines is where uh, Miyamoto Masashi had his third duel with the, uh, with the clan uh, here in Kyoto back in the day, of course. And uh, what he had done, it, it was a, quite a famous clan for their swordsmanship. In fact, they were the most well-known and they were regarded as, a, as the best uh, clan in Japan for sword fighting, uh, so much so that they were responsible to the emperor to teach uh, his royal uh, garden, etc., and so uh, Masashi showed up uh, in the area and fought the head of the clan because back in the day, that's what you did. And, uh, and he kind of sorted that out. And, and then uh, the second guy from the clan uh, showed up and said, okay, now I'm going to avenge uh, the head of the clan. And that didn't work out too well either. And of course, these duels back then, um, they were to the death. Uh, at times. Uh, and so the third duel, uh, which was the site that I stood at uh, yesterday, was a duel um, where the uh, third member of the clan, who was a, by all accounts, was a 12-year-old uh, boy. Uh, and, you know, history's a bit wishy-washy. It's going back several hundred years, so it's not precise. Um, the 12-year-old uh, said, right, now it's my turn. Um, we're now going to duel. And he set the stage to have a nighttime duel. And so as history uh, states, uh, Miyamoto Musashi didn't feel good about that. So he showed up a bit early, showed up a bit early to the duel and uh, kind of hid out in the bushes and, and watched the clan put, as, as the history states, it's anywhere from dozens of men to a couple of hundred men all around the area, archers and all the things. And uh, they were going to ambush uh, Masashi. And as they were setting up, he basically jumped out of the bushes, cut the head off the 12-year-old, and then started fighting with all of the uh, various clan members. Now, it was at that moment, as history states, that there were so many now whether it's embellished or not is immaterial in order to fight his way off of the objective he drew out his second sword so historically speaking you had your long sword and your short sword well he drew out both swords and started fighting the uh, people around him and at, that was the moment that the two sword style was created that he became famous for prior to that ambush He'd never considered it as a means to fight. So that went on to impact the rest of history in the style of not just warfare, but expanding the mind of martial artists from a more rigid or dogmatic way of the long sword is the only sword that you use to now it's all weapons are available to you if you can learn how to use the tools around you at the time. And so this third duel was something that I wanted to go stand next to, literally standing on the ground next to the tree where the duel occurred so that I could absorb that energy. So to Marsha's point, you know, the 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 connections for, through time or the... Um, the things that we read 30 years ago that are just in a simple book are only as simple as the pages that they're written on until you go out and seek the experience or try to feel the vibe at a deeper level. So again, back to what you started us off with, Chance, you want to get deeper into the subject of this topic. Well, the only way to get deeper, I feel, is to put the book down and to go out and try to live the life as much as you can. 
and and absorb the feeling of the moment and experience perhaps what those footprints look like and what that double sword might have felt like either in your mind or as I did physically by that waterfall, I double sworded off camera. And so I think, you know, you've kind of got to get in the game of understanding how deep the game is. I love that. And I, I, that's a great portion of uh, when you read Musashi's history, <clears throat> it is a, it's a quite a development point in terms of uh, a, a lot of the things that we're talking about. And it goes back to what Matt was saying about the, the hero's journey, right? And that you have to step out of the realm that you know into a realm of the unknown before you can ever learn what you actually know or don't know. And I think it's such a, a great point. Uh, before we get in any farther on this, because I, I really want to get in here, I just want to hit a couple of these comments. Daniel jumped in here and he said, a common path among all, where one may obtain inspiration from all sides to gain inner betterment, but where it may brush over to others naturally for their betterment in life. Similar to how the collective has provided many the inspiration for betterment, mm -hmm. while them inspiring others to pursue, pursue that betterment alone, but supported by the many from their surroundings. And so this goes into the first kind of question that I have for you guys is the fact that, you know, we, we understand that our actions can affect others and that the, what we do can affect our future. But we also still need to be present in the moment. We can't live our lives constantly thinking about, oh, well, if I do this now, it's going to do that later. How do we remain present while still understanding that what we're doing right now affects our future? Uh, Marsha, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? <laughs> I think that it comes back down to focusing on what we can control. Like I can't control the future. I can't control where that ripple is going to go. And I do believe that it's like, again, back to the, the threads are moving cups constantly. There are so many moving variables at all time that me sharing my story, for example, coming out, talking about difficult stories, it, it can impact a total stranger who happens to turn on a podcast at a random time that maybe they don't always listen to, but it's actually not random. It was meant to be at that time. And so I think that we can't control where that message is going to go. I like to lead with intention in the sense that I know that it's going to reach somebody who it needs to support, who needs to be able to feel that they're not alone and just lead with that intention. So I think that when you continue to put good out there, lead yourself as best as you can and stay unattached to the outcome of where it's going to go and just know that it will because you're putting something good out there and your intention is to make a difference with somebody else. I think then that what comes back to us it's not going to come from that person that we impact. There's another person who's leading away and doing something else. And that is going to reach and cross our path. So I think that standing in a space of putting something good out there, expecting it to come back, the second we get tied up in the expectations of it is when it's, it's not genuine. It's not with good intention. And it's not how we can best lead ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, thoughts on this? So remaining present in the moment with not getting caught up in the future yeah. is that the question yeah well what comes to mind for me is like we do need like a future vision or what the story that we want it to be in the future like a lighthouse you need to know your mission and your values and be able to look in that direction and then make a game plan day to day and stay present in the moment to the game the game plan and also reflect at the end of the day or end of the week and make sure you're still moving towards that future goal, that vision, that mission. Are you acting in a way that lives out your most important values and beliefs? So I think you do have to think a little bit about the future, make a game plan, and then stay in the present day to day, taking action steps. Mm, I like that. Sean, mm -hmm. thoughts on this? Well, as we say pretty often, you got to know your why. You just got to know your why, why you're here, why you on the planet why are you living the life that you're living why are you doing what you're doing just figure out your why and then how to move into the near future or your visualized outcome that you're pursuing whatever that means to you and whatever velocity you want to set for that uh but um for you know this the 
broader sub the broader subject or the broader question, I think is going back to I'm thinking about Tim Turner making his comment from him reading that book over 30 years ago. When he made that comment, I didn't just like shrug my shoulders and think, yeah, well, of course, bro. Yeah, that was my freaking book. I get it. What I did think was, wow, you know, like I hadn't really put two and two together. I hadn't really thought about these kind of things. I hadn't considered that by me buying that book a long time ago and then passing it around the commando, that it would impact my friend that somehow many decades later, he would drop a comment in a freaking Instagram story post that I'm now podcasting in. I mean, who could, who could visualize that? I mean, put someone in front of me who could create that story and, and, and convince me that that was going to be the outcome of buying a book. And so taking it right back to the baseline of how the perhaps chain started to get me in Kyoto yesterday, it was buying a book, a simple book that had me curious. And that book then got me here. And you can't make that stuff up. All you can do is reflect back on the moment through a simple comment and realize the chain of events that take us to where we are. And how deep do you want to think about it? Well, that's up to you. If you look at it from a veneer-like level and shrug your shoulders and think, yeah, of course, bro, it was my book. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty thin. That's a pretty veneer-like consideration. But if you think about it deeper, uh, there's a lot more layers to uh, this store. And, and I think that's the beauty of life. We are all on a solo journey. We're all on a Ronin lifestyle. We're all on a singular trajectory surrounded by others that are on a singular trajectory that we can, if we look back through our past, understand the collectiveness of it or the collectiveness of the now or the collectiveness of the future. But it's for all of us to individually decide what that means to us, depending on how deep you want to think. Yes, indeed. Matt, you got any uh, thoughts on this? Uh, I might pass on this one. My, <laughs> my mind, I, well, some, I drifted to a story about um, maybe based on a couple different comments that we've had. Um, I help facilitate retreats. And years ago, we used to do them on Orca Island for Seattle PD, Fire, LAPD, and smaller agencies out of LA. And we would travel up there. And we just kind of called it a peer support retreat, but it, we had, you know, psychological tools, spiritual tools, but you don't use that language because then people stigmatize it. We did a bunch of, you know, breath work, meditation, acupuncture, massage, gratitude practices, uh, covered some stoicism. And on the plane ride back, there's this uh, fire captain sitting next to me. And he's like, man, I can't wait to get back to the firehouse and implement all these things I just learned. I can't wait to share this with my wife and kids and teach them all this stuff. And I had forgot what I told him. But the next year on the flight out to the same retreat, he had a notebook and it said W-Y-O-S-F. And he said, hey, here's everything I've been working on in the last year that you taught me on the retreat. And I said, I have no idea what W-O-Y-O-S-F is. So that must have been something Dr. Becknell taught. And he said, no, I was telling you how I was going to implement all this stuff at the firehouse and with my family. And you said, work on your own stuff first. I use another word for stuff, but we can't cuss on this one. So work on your own stuff first. And then as you experientially have lessons that change you because it's not information we have all this powerpoint training that will put say first responders through maybe even veterans on ptsd addiction suicide like powerpoint powerpoint information but there's like no experiences of how to better handle those things and say train the parasympathetic nervous system and give them those experiences but as we work on our own stuff we will be role modeling to others 
And then we have a much greater impact than preaching or trying to teach others. And then there's even science behind our hearts and our brains put off energy. It's legit. It's not like aura. If you uh, look at the heart rate variability company called HeartMath, they have a lot of research on you know humans as well as humans with their dogs. And we literally put off electromagnetic waves that influence the people around us. So we need to do our own work experientially to make changes for ourselves to better influence others. And I don't know if that directly relates, but that's kind of what was going through my head. Absolutely. I love that. Marsha, you got any thoughts on this? I just wanted to say, like, I was thinking of heart math when you were talking and how <laughs> I was because I, and I love that. And I was just thinking of the example of, you know, I would say in the last few years, I've really embodied a lot more about understanding the parasympathetic system and breath work and those tools. And it's interesting because I know that when we do that work on ourselves, we carry ourselves different. We respond differently. We show up differently and that can impact somebody else as well. And then when you're doing that individually is one thing. And then when you're collectively getting together to, to do that kind of work, it's only amplifying the energy that's there. So it's having an even deeper profound impact on the people in that area. And I think that even outside of an exercise like that, that's what can happen with, with humans around us is when we learn how to tap into that ourselves, lead ourselves as best as we can and again, not perfection, right? Just because we're always learning in this space, but we can have that profound effect on somebody else that we're not even tied to ego. We don't even realize because maybe we're showing up in the right energy at the right time, right at the time that that person is literally praying for some kind of support, someone to hear them, someone to show up, but we're not stuck in our heads of, you know, thinking too much. And we're actually like just dropped into our bodies and that's when we can then be that support for somebody else. So I just see this again, this collective, we can change the energy of what is happening around us when we continue to do this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I got a couple comments here, but I just wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, everything we've talked about so far is really, <clears throat> it's about the message that we're that we're exuding, not so much that we're saying, but it's in what, in everything that we do, it sends a message out to those around us. And that message, it, if it's clear that other people can pick up on it. Uh, I was saying to Sean the other day that, uh, you know, when you're sitting in a room with him, there's a presence, like you can, you can feel it when he is in the room and other guys from tier one units and special forces dudes and SWAT and all these, uh, styles, uh, not styles, but, um, organizations that are really high performing. They all have the same, uh, presence to them. And it just, you know, initially I thought it was confidence, but it's so much more than that. Um, and before we get into that though, I got a couple comments I want to touch on cause they are excellent. So Salty jumped on here and he said, it's not about predicting the future as much as it is about setting and upholding a personal ethos that guides you in the moment and establishes a stance that represents your ideals after the moment has passed. It sets the path based on your own center of gravity. And I really love that line. It is a, um, such a true point that you can, if you utilize this, the, the concept like gravity, you can kind of roll something down the, down the table and see where it goes just by doing the math. Uh, and then I got, uh, Daniel jumps in here. He says, doing the internalization work where it, where it enhances that portion, it naturally influences the external environment due to your frequency and posture changes that co coincides with the laws of attraction. Excellent. Basically what I was saying there. <laughs> um, any thoughts on this at all? Uh, I'm going to go to Matt. What do you think? Um, I like both of them. I mean, what, what kind of people you got watching this? You got some real wizards that are deep, uh, I don't know if I have any particular comments, but I really liked both of those. Yeah. Awesome. Marsha, you got any thoughts on this? Oh, you're muted. Hold on a sec. There we Sorry go. about that. Um, I think the only thing I want to say is, is that it, it's so much more than just our words. And just as you were talking about Sean before, like it, it isn't just confidence. It's like 
how you carry yourself, like that is who you are. There is no mask in that. That's, that's who I am. And I love that. And I think that it's when you, when you do that and you carry that energy, you will, like you will definitely impact people around you. There's no question. Absolutely. Sean, thoughts on this? I do. Uh, I'm going to take it back to the previous comments about heart rate math. Mm. I got involved with heart rate math when the company was just a couple of dudes overseas cobbling together some math. And I was emailing back and forth to them when I was a super nerd and saying, hey, boys, what's this all about? And that little company then got bought out by Polar. And then Polar went on to spread the word on heart rate variability and et cetera. So I've been in HRV for ah, nearly 25 years and so what does that mean? Like, that's not a brag. I'm not saying it for that reason. The reason I'm saying it is because how much you know in life is how long you've been in life. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, you can be, I'm 60 years old, but I could have the, I could have the wisdom of a 20-year-old, but I don't because I've been in the game, in the game of the things that fascinate me. So when I wanted to, when I left tier one and I wanted to keep on tier one in life, I started looking around for things that were tier one ish. And that meant cutting edge. That meant bleeding edge. That meant the freak show stuff. And so that's why I was emailing back and forth with a couple of dudes over there in Finland and saying, what are you two all about? And so you've got to get in the game of life to understand where you can go in life. At that time, when I left tier one, I was literally Ronin. And so I had no master. I had no direction. I started walking the world. I, 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 I went to many countries to stand on Machu Picchu, to stand in front of the pyramids, to stand in front of blah, 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 to meet this guy, to talk to that guy, to to sit down next to her, to figure out the world around me at a tier one level, as I've always tried to do, whatever that means to anyone out there. I was seeking. I was adventuring. I wanted to understand the world at a deeper level. I wanted a velocity in my life that met the velocity of the life that I'd just come out of. Now, did that make me unique or special or extraordinary? It, it did in context of Sean, not in context of anyone else around me. I, I wanted to be a better version every day versus Sean the day before. And that meant that I had to seek. I had to think. I had to go deeper every day on the world around me, this journey that we're all in. So as a Ronin, as I bounced around the world seeking, I was... I, I bumped into a tiny little company in Europe called HRV. And so the ring on my finger that I've been wearing for over five years does HRV on me every night. The first thing, not the first thing, but one of the first things that I do after I crack out my knuckle push-ups is I check my stats. I check my HRV to better understand not what this ring is telling me, but contextually, what's going on in my life versus the years of data that I've got on HRV. So wh what do we know about ourselves? Mm -hmm. The only thing that we know about ourselves is how we contextualize ourselves against how we've been paying attention to life and what we've got going on in the now and maybe what we hope for the future. And so I dig on HRV, but HRV is the proxy for this conversation to illustrate that you can go as deep as you want, or you can stay surface level. But what you get out of those two decisions, deep or shallow, is the results that are immediately in front of your nose. What you know now is based on what you did then. What you'll be in the future is based on what you do now. And so I think that mm, like our individual lives are perhaps a 
they're our journey, but now to the point of what we put out or how we impact others or the vibe that we give off. Well, just before I jumped into this live chat, a guy who was also in special operations shot me a quick uh, DM and said, bro, I hope you're absorbing the energy while you're at that standing next to that statue of Miyamoto. And my quick response to him was, bro, I'm absorbing it all. And I think that's key, man. You've got to absorb it all. This journey, you can absorb 30% or you can absorb 100%. And I think that some people believe that the journey that we're all in is, is a journey that doesn't offer much at times but it offers it all. You've just got to put up your radar. You've just got to dial the volume up to 11. You've just got to go all in and understand that this game that we're all in right now is up to us to decide how much we absorb right now. And so as he made that comment and I quickly shot him back, bro, I'm absorbing it all. It was, it's not just for me. Like I was absorbing the energy next to that statue for Sean and for the Sean that exists in this cooperative world that we all exist in so that others around me not can benefit in the future, but can feel the energy that I absorbed at that moment in the future. They'll feel that energy emanate off me now. Is it going to be like some sort of force field sizzling all around me? Well, that's for you to decide. But what I will say is this, that the Sean of yesterday before he went on that journey was a different Sean than this Sean today. To what order of magnitude? And that's for me to decide. And that's for others to determine in the future, I suppose. Absolutely. Marsha, you got thoughts on this? I can see the I can see your brain working. What do you got? My brain is going like crazy. I just love it. Like I absolutely love I was I was immersed in that um conversation. So thank you, Sean, for sharing it the way that you did because it it does ripple out and it does affect like more and more people. But it, the reach is the reach is so much further. I think that we can get so caught up in, you know not bettering ourselves, not like soaking it all in, taking it in and, and growing ourselves. And then we get, look at the people who are closest in our life. And we think that, you know, that's not making a big difference or they're not helping me to grow or whatever that is. When I often say like this, this, who we can become can impact people we haven't met yet. Like we haven't even met them yet. This and that's just a, a beautiful thing, is because I think our message and what we are here to do has the potential to reach far further than what we're ever even going to see. We we won't see it back. And I I like to. That's the frame of mind that how I like to leave myself is that I believe that our stories go further than we think. That none of us are alone. And when we can show up in that energy, it'll go out far further than we could ever imagine. Absolutely. Matt, any thoughts on this? Yeah. The way that Sean was talking, I'm like, Oh my God, he's so passionate. And I love it because I believe that everybody, not just people that have been elite tier one operators or elite athletes, everyone would have a more fulfilling life if they sought out whatever their vocation or calling was and continued to seek meaning, purpose and growth throughout their life, irregardless of their jobs and things like that. But we're not teaching young people like a lot of fathers are not teaching their kids to pursue their vocation, their calling or the journey of self-discovery. And I don't think I don't know about Canada, but in America, they're certainly not teaching that to kids right now or in colleges. They're inundating them with all kinds of other stuff to be sidetracked. But he was just so passionate about continuing to grow even after he got out of the military um, and I just, I love that. And I love being around people that are passionate and pursuing excellence, like one of your other podcasts that I listen to, but it's also a frustrating thing because I have had the opportunity. Like I grew up in areas that were really psycho and good at sports. I got to go to, you know, very academic, prestigious academic undergrads and play sports, coach 
at Yale and Georgetown, um, be on a SWAT team. So I've been around a lot of passionate people. And then when you're not on the SWAT team, you're not on a division one sports team and you're hanging out with like regular people, it can be disappointing sometimes because you do have expectations that everybody's going to want to live like the same way you do, like crack open the bone and suck the marrow out and make the best of everything and maximize your performance. But I also realized through having relationships with people that say didn't have my father and sports and military police that nobody ever taught them to do the journey of self-discovery. And we can only see others as deeply as we can see ourselves. And often people are not given permission to seek what it is that they're passionate about without caring about external validation or what other people think. Like if you're a football player that loves artwork or playing a musical instrument, like who cares what the bros in the locker room say, like pursue that passion. You like gardening, you like whatever things that people may say are woo woo or soft. But I think every human being has a vocation or calling to serve some kind of purpose in their life, whether it's in their relationships or in their career. And there's things that if they were to pursue, you know, self-growth, even through the pain, adversity and suffering and the hard things, which we're not teaching how to do that, they're going to have a lot more fulfilling and satisfying lives. So those are things that were just popping up for me. Like, wow, so nice to be around somebody that's that passionate. And then my mind goes to why aren't we teaching that, you know, and how did he get it? What's his story that allowed him to go tier one and then influence that he's not going to just step out of that and let himself fall apart or be attached, unfortunately, to the identity of that and like long for that, even though that chapter's over, because a lot of veterans and first responders retire. And then that's when the alcoholism comes in the depression and they're hanging on to their identity with what they were doing before. So, yeah, this is uh we, and we've talked about, we've talked about that many times actually on the show. We've got into uh, those specific questions uh, a number of times. And, and, I, and the reason we do it over and over again is because, you know, we have different guests, we have different points of view, we have different angles to look at it from and to engage it from. And uh, one of the things that really caught me actually, Sean, on your video, I commented on it or, afterwards and I said you know standing in the footsteps of giants and I think that is kind of a key point that we're talking about here especially in this concept of you know uh walking alone together is that that's part of it is to be able to sit inside someone else's footsteps and take in that moment and one of those uh one of the things I said uh on that comment for you Sean was the fact I could see you taking in all of that information now, I hang out with Sean every day, right? Like, I have, <laughs> so I have a bit more of an intimate uh, uh, interaction with him, but I can I could see his brain processing. I could see him absorbing the smells and the sights and the sounds and just being in that moment 100%. As to your point, Matt, like he, 100% passion. You got you to gotta see the video. You can see. <laughs> it is, uh, it's intense. <coughs> the point that I was thinking was the fact that the he was doing it for himself but it was emanating to the rest of the people that are following him right anybody that follows him can see that even at a base level wow he's really passionate about that and then you can take a second you have the opportunity to take a second and go oh it's not just passion oh wow look how deeply he is looking at the shrine look at how meticulous he is about washing his hands with the water things like that where the depth of thought or the depth of the moment allows for the depth of thought, mm. if that makes sense. And I think that is something that, to your point, Matt, what you started off with on your story was um, take care of your own stuff first, right? That's the same concept, at least in my mind. Sean, what do you think? Well, something that Matt had said that uh... – uh, fired off in my brain uh, a little story that I, I don't think I have really told. Uh, it happened in Singapore. Uh, my wife was, she had a day off um, because she was, uh, the following day, she was running the Singapore Marathon. And so um, I just rented a bike and went for a ride. I rode around Singapore for three hours uh, like a freak. And uh, I ended up at a spot, a, a tiny little um, a uh, spot that I got recommended to me by a dude. 
and um, and I was standing in front of it, kind of eyeballing the world around me. And there was a Singapore police sergeant, and uh, I just walked up to him and said, uh, "Hey, man, how you doing? Uh, do you mind if I ask you a quick question?" And of course, he aligned himself with me, pointed his body camera at me to make sure that nothing uh, was going to go down that uh, wasn't recorded. And uh, I and he said, "Sure." And I said, "So uh, I don't know the area. I, that's my bike right there. I'm looking around for a place to eat." where would you eat? And he said, uh, well, what are you in the mood for? And I said, no, what would you eat? Where do you go? Where would you have lunch? And, and he kind of looked at me like, now I'm not a tourist. Now I'm a guy who's, who's interacting. Now I'm a guy who's showing interest. Now I want to follow in his footsteps. And so he said, okay, go in there go left, go right, go left, and stop and look for something called soup tulang. And I said, Roger that. Thank you, brother. And by the way, thank you for your service. 180 bounced. Went into this place, stood in front of it, and didn't know what I was ordering. Walked up to the three characters uh, that were working super hard uh, in this tiny little uh, food stall. And I said, uh, I'll take a soup tulang. And, and they all looked at me and said, okay. And so uh, I didn't know what I was ordering. I got this big plate, really rich, red, deep gravy, complex, really sophisticated, um, kind of like a curry almost, but not a curry as you would think of it in North America. And four big mutton bones, big honking bones. So the big meaty portion, not a lot of meat on it, but the big meaty portion typically. And then think of it as almost a long carrot marrow bone sticking out of it and a straw. And you put the straw into the marrow bone. I've got a photo of it. I think maybe I put it on my Instagram story so no one will get to see it now. Uh, but um, the straw goes in the marrow bone and you just suck the marrow out of this big bone. And um, the three characters behind the food stall were all about it, watching the, I mean, I was the only dude there that was like not a local. And, uh, and so I, I got to town on these uh, four marrow bones and it was freaking awesome. And so how did I end up sucking marrow out of a mutton bone in a tiny little food stall in the middle of Singapore in a spot that I shouldn't have been in other than I followed my nose with a little bit of curiosity. And uh, I think that life is as rich as you make it, as I've said uh, previously. You know, if, if you have a curious mind and you have an adventurous spirit and you're willing to put in the work of doing rather than thinking, somehow you end up getting a recommendation on sucking marrow out of a mutton bone from a Singapore sergeant, uh, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And so I, I think that it's almost a proxy for the topic that I'm now going to bounce into where I want to flippity flop the script and put this back to the guest because I'm curious as to your opinions on this. <clears throat> so I like to follow my nose. I like to be curious about the world around me. When we were in Malaysia for a month uh, before we went to Singapore and, and now, of course, we're in Japan, uh, the last spot that we were in was a town called or a city called Malacca, which is on the Strait of Malacca. And Malacca is a very old port, uh, several hundred years old, uh, the over 500 years old. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, based on the history, culture, and the importance of it in basically shaping the world that we exist in right now from the sense of uh, trade, uh, the Chinese, the Malay, and the Indians. <clears throat> it was, uh, it, it was um, a critical moment in history, as it were. And so uh, what's the relevance of that? Well, in uh, Malacca, there is a large hill the hill on top of the hill is a church. The church, um, previous to the church existing, um, it was a, a fortified area. It's a small island, and it was wrapped around uh, Malaysian fortified, which was then uh, taken over by the Portuguese, then by the Dutch, then by the British. And so this church got built up on top of uh, this hill, and 
it was for St. Francis Xavier. <clears throat> and so we spent a couple of hours up there walking around, looking at things and, and not just looking at things. I, I don't want to say my wife doesn't vibe like I do. She looks at things. I vibe on things. I mean, I'm looking at the history. I'm reading all the things. I'm learning all the things. I'm fascinated by all the things, of course. But to the duality, perhaps, or the non-duality of things, um, I also coexist with my experiential self. I try to absorb information, but I try to absorb the vibe. A lot of my life is led by vibe. Now, I'm not a... I wouldn't categorize myself as a religious man, but I would categorize myself as a spiritual man. And so as I spirited my way around that uh, site, I was thinking about Sir Francis or St. Francis Xavier and how if, if I'm led to believe what I read is correct, he's considered as the second most impactful individual within that faith right after uh, St. Was it Peter or Paul, the apostle? I forget. I get them mixed up because it's not my it's not my jam. I, I don't really know the history very well. Uh, but but what is important is Xavier went on to be uh, essentially set Asia up for the religion. He then rippled on in through Europe. He cascaded his ideas, a single man, his thoughts, his interpretation of the world around him impacted millions and i believe that at the time or at least i feel that at the time that dude wasn't all about i can't wait to impact millions it's gonna be awesome i think what he did probably was just walk his walk and talk his talk and do his thing without the understanding of how it was going to exponentially grow across many countries and across many centuries and so now i've set that stage i'm going to hand this back to the guests for their opinion as i was standing up on that hill i started thinking about wow like that dude's me and i'm everyone else there's no difference between him me and the guests but the choke point for me is this when I walk my walk and I talk my talk, I'm not trying to be Xavier. I'm just trying to be Sean. And my imposter syndrome or my mind or something within me states that, well, I can't have that impact. In fact, what it does state is I don't want to have that impact because who am I to do that? And so that said, what what are your thoughts on how as humans we limit ourselves to maybe not want to be that i know there's people who do want to be that but that's not me i don't want to be that so what are your thoughts on that mm, that's a very good question let's matt why don't you start us off well I think St. Francis of Xavier is a Jesuit. I'd like to look it up because if he's a Jesuit, it's, they're a pretty cool religious order in the Catholic Church. But I imagine, like Sean said, is that he wasn't like when those types of people are people that are as far as outside of our capitalist uh corporate America, people that are pursuing excellence and their passion and their true self, the journey of self-discovery on their, to be their most true self and find their calling are not thinking about being popular or famous or the impact I'm going to make a hundred years from now when somebody reads the memorials at a church about the life I led. They're just focused on living their true self and living out whatever their calling is. And I think it's, it's a beautiful part of the story like I said, the more we grow up emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, we should see what we have in common with all other human beings rather than this dualistic, like we're different. So therefore, I'm going to hang out with my tribe. Your tribe sucks and let's battle. Um, and so it's beautiful that not you're not a Catholic, I assume, but that guy resonated or vibed with you. And if he is a Jesuit, it's called Ignatian spirituality. St. Ignatius is the one that started the Jesuits. 
And their spirituality is a lot of contemplation and action. So there's a lot of very meditative and reflective type prayer practices, as well as they demand that you take action and go in the world and make a difference. Because there are some monastic traditions where you just stay in a monastery and you pray and chant and sing for the world. And that can be an honorable thing. Uh, but then the Jesuits and other religious orders are like, yeah, pray and chant and meditate and study the scripture and other great works of spirituality, and then take those lessons out into the world and make a difference. And they're very applicable to other Christian denominations and even other religious traditions, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Absolutely. Marcia, thoughts on this? Deep topic. I think that in response to what Sean said is the fact that your, you know, who's to say that the impact and reach that you will have and continue to have, Sean, is far surpassed what you could imagine. And so, but you're not going out with the intention of that. I do want to, and yes, some people do want to impact millions and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's this piece that like, by you leading yourself and by you actually, you know, asking that police officer for, you know, where to go, what to eat. What's interesting is, is that like he was seen. And so when he was seen, he was valued. And then, you know, then it builds this connection that's there. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. So I think we all have the potential to make a massive difference in the world. It's never going to happen until we learn to lead ourselves first. And I think that when we look at stories like that, maybe, maybe they never wanted to have as big of a reach as what they did, but that was as a result of how they chose to show up every day, how they led themselves and what they put out into the world. So I think it has the potential to be more than we could have ever imagined. But when we lead with it being, I want to do it from that level, I think we lose some of those beautiful connections along the way. Like I love having connections with the person in front of me at the grocery store, the person, you know, that I meet in on a walk, will stand and talk. And one of the things my husband's always joking about, like, how can you go so deep so fast with somebody? I'm like, I love that. Like, I love doing that. So I think that, you know, when you do that with people and you allow them to be seen and you build that kind of connection, that could have been the highlight of his day. And he then turns and now his next connection is very different how he treats somebody else. Like that's the, that's the beautiful part about the ripple effect is you don't know where it's going to go, but when you change someone else's day, then all of a sudden it will impact someone else along the way. Yeah, this is uh, I'm going to push back on you a little bit, Sean here, because you do want to help many millions. That's the thing. That's why we started the collective, right? This is part of it is we want to help the people around us. And the key point I think that I would uh, argue on this is the fact that you have no desire to help people in order to, in order to impact them for your own sake, right? It's not that you want them to be different. It's just that you want the best for the people around you just in general. And so I think that that is a, a key point that I, th I think your imposter syndrome kind of kicks in whenever you start talking about this, because <laughs> it is, you know, nobody, we, we don't want fame, but we want to help the most amount of people we can. And we want to be able to engage with as many people as we can. And I think that, that is uh, kind of part of what it is to be a leader, what it is to be, you know, to go to the, uh, the topic of the day, to walk alone together is that we're we're here if you want to join us by all means like step up beside us and let's get to work uh, but i'm still i'm gonna keep walking regardless of whether or not somebody joins me and i think that at least in my mind that's kind of the heart of what we're talking about today is that we all have our path to go on but that path can be walked next to a lot of other awesome people and uh, we are running short on time here and I would love to sit for another hour and talk about this because I think we probably could spend multiple days getting into this one. Um, I'm going to hit a couple comments here before uh, we finish off and then we will uh, get some final thoughts before we shut her down. So um, 
Lisa jumped in here earlier. She said, I, I need to listen to this at 4 a.m. in the morning. The energy in this room is fire. <laughs> it has been, absolutely. Um, Daniel jumped in. He said, when you think the levels of the collective mindset game are already high, they bump it up. <laughs> December has been amazing. That's fantastic. Thanks, Daniel. Lisa then jumps back. I am working. Uh, I'm at work taking care of a client right now, and I was waiting for this tonight. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we got Living the Dream jumped in here. My graduate school was a Jesuit institution, and they say, yes, the principal of St. Ignatius demand that we engage our interlocu interlocutor with good faith in any exchange of religious ideas or ideology. And I think that's a great point in terms of we say it all the time. Thoughts, actions, why Sean says it all the time. I don't say it very often, but <laughs> Sean does say it all the time, is that you have to put forth the work. If you don't put forth the work, you can't expect the change. So let's get some final thoughts on anything at all that we've covered over today, but it has been awesome. And before I do that, I just want to thank you guys because it's been awesome. Matt, Marsha, John, fantastic conversation. Looking forward to having you guys back again very soon. But uh, Matt, any final thoughts, anything off the top of your head? Yeah, I think this kind of can wrap it up with one important point as Martha was talking about Sean with the cop and said he was seen. And that is a beautiful thing to reflect on because we cannot give to others that which we do not possess for ourselves. So Sean's doing all this work to go deep for himself and be present and hear his inner voice or vibe with things. And most people in this, this our culture right now do not listen to understand. They listen to respond. They're listening to whatever somebody's saying. They're not totally paying attention because they're waiting for a pause to respond with what they've had stuck in their head. But if you're a good listener and you remain present to people and they feel seen, heard, and understood, it'll change their life. Even with a stranger, like Martha said, like my, my girlfriend jokes that like when I go to the stores or walk by the beach, things can go deep real quick. And she just jokes now it's the heart math thing. Uh, it's that heart mass stuff you're putting off. But I think what it is, is it's not enough people in this world are see, feel like they're seen, heard, and understood by other people being good listeners and really present to them. Absolutely. Marsha, any final yeah. thoughts? No, I just, yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that the allowing others to be seen and heard and valued is only going to come when we like listen, tune into ourselves, grow ourselves first um because we can't we have to lead ourselves we absolutely have to lead ourselves first and that comes from being present in that moment and i just there's something i just i love sean because it makes me think of how many times i will just get rub, like just revel in a moment that's happened and now i'm going to allow myself to do that more so it's just you know stay super present and do that and it really can change the energy of yourself and those around you. So I think that the only thing I want to add to that is, you know, walk alone together. Um, just be open that the people that you can walk alongside that can have the biggest impact in your life and that maybe you can in theirs, you, you haven't even crossed paths yet. Like there's just, there's so many people out there. So don't get caught up on your circle right now it's like, it can be so much bigger and further than you can imagine. Absolutely. Sean, final thoughts? Well, I hope the circle doesn't get too big too fast because that's freaking me out. So that's my <laughs> first thought. Um, I, so listening to the guests, um, not their reply or the response to my question, um, what I was doing was not listening. I was trying to feel what they were putting out. And I think that's my takeaway from today. Uh, I understand it, of course, and, and I've been doing it for a long time, but it today allowed me to paraphrase this idea in, in my existence right now. And it's this, that rather than listening to the person and um, truly listening to what they say, and not just simply trying to retort or trying to scheme up the answer that I want to throw out right now, right now, right now, even though they're still in mid-sentence. Rather than waiting for my opportunity to talk, what I'm not doing is just vibing uh, enough, I think. 
I think that rather than listening to them, what I just need to do is feel them more. So I think I'm going to adjust my ratio and I'm going to have to use a little bit of math, not heart math, but <laughs> a little bit of math and, and just kind of move my slider a little bit more to a little bit less listening and a little bit more feeling as I'm listening. I hope that makes sense. I love that. That is fantastic. We, uh, that, that's what we do here. That's, I mean, the, just recently, uh, I'd say in the last month or so, uh, that's what I've tried to do the most. As the moderator on the show, right, I don't have, uh, I'm not here to talk a lot. So I've just been trying to, as much as possible, feel the guests. I don't want to listen for the pause. I don't want to wait for the end of that conversation or that end of that story and then immediately jump on it. I want to feel as that story kind of dips off and then I can engage the next question or the next person, so on and so forth. And that has been a big lesson that I've learned. And thanks to Sean, he's been uh, prompting me to continually get better in this uh, particular task as the moderator. So I'm really appreciative of that. And the only really thing I have to end on this, uh, or the only thing I have to share on this at the end is the fact that it is a, it is a journey as Matt started with, and that journey can be walked alone together so as we do that we should be learning about ourselves we should build upon that knowledge and we should grow every day which you can do with us here on the collective we'll see y'all tomorrow chimo chimo